0: Welcome to the ASPR podcast Inside Conflict with Moritz Ehrmann. Welcome back to Inside Conflict, the podcast of the Austrian Center for Peace, looking at dynamics of conflict and ways to build peace around the globe. In today's episode, we will be discussing conflict dynamics in South Sudan, Uganda, and across these countries' borders, as well as ideas about how some of the underlying issues uh, could be resolved. In today's episode, uh, which will be the first of two, uh, and in which we will discuss uh, certain practical elements of uh, of important work being done uh, in the field of uh, peace and conflict uh, in, uh, in these two countries and in the region, uh, as well as some uh, historic perspectives uh, relating to conflict dynamics in the region, um, so in this in this debate uh, today, we will be joined uh, by Mrs. Uh, Rose Oceno, who is the executive director and co-founder of uh, Secor, the Center for Peace and Conflict Resolution, based in Kampala, Uganda. The Core is a civil society organization founded in the 1990s to promote a culture of peace and is actively, active mainly in Uganda, but also has partnerships in the Great Lakes and the Horn of Africa regions. For the last 20 years, ROSE has been engaged in various activities of the organization, like training different groups and institutions in conflict resolution skills, early warning uh, and mediation, at the local, uh, local, national, regional, and international level, she is also a gender expert and a strong advocate for women's rights. So, Rose, you're joining us uh, from directly from Kampala. Welcome uh, to this recording.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Also here with us today is Mr. Jan Postbissel who is a member of the advisory board of the Austrian Center for Peace and our former uh, research director. He is now an associate professor at uh, Coventry University in the United Kingdom. In his academic work, he deals intensively with peace processes and peace agreements, the topic of resilience, and from a geographic perspective, above all, with Sudan and South Sudan. Jan has also led research, had led a research area on local peace agreements with the University of Edinburgh and will be co-responsible for a multi-year follow-up program called the Peace and Conflict Resolution Evidence Platform. Jan, you're joining us directly from Juba. Also very welcome.
2: Hi, good to be here.
0: Yeah, so let's... Start uh, talk the conversation, uh, looking a bit at the current uh, interesting work that uh, both of you are doing, uh, either in your personal capacity or through the various organizations you're you're active in. And uh, maybe a first question to you, Rose, um, Secore Um why was it funded? Founded, uh, and what? Uh, do you mean when you refer to a culture uh, of peace? Is this something that is still relevant now, uh, 30 years on? Um, And what is your main objective today in 2022?
1: Thank you very much for for these very useful questions that uh, are very pertinent to us and our work, Um, very Pleased to be part of this podcast, and I'm happy to contribute whatever I can, especially from being part of the founders and also practicing uh, the activities of the organization for the over 20 years. Sico uh, Center for Conflict Resolution was founded in, in 1995. Uh, it is uh, one of many other centers of uh, conflict resolution but we know that uh, sometimes we, ab- uh, we differentiate them with abbreviations and uh, acronyms and the geographical location because there is one strong center in Cape Town in South Africa that we also worked with before. Ours is shortened to CECORE that we uh, commonly call refer to as CECO. This uh, organization was founded by mainly Ugandans, well, fully Ugandans. Uh, at that time who had been working in areas, not only of conflict, but also other areas. And why we founded the organization in 1995 was that at that time, the country was getting out of uh, one of the crises because there have been several and maybe others continue as we shall discuss further. But then at this time, there was now, a more openness to the work of NGOs and CSOs in the country. But unfortunately, around that time, most of the strong NGOs were international. And even the thematic areas were more to do with humanitarian uh, support, maybe health and a little bit of uh, governance and human rights, which were just becoming, which were just coming on board. Then we realized, yes, much as people usually talk about human rights, the specific area of peace building had a very big gap. So having been people who had work uh, on peace building uh, with different other organizations at international and regional level, we came together to found this organization that was now country based country founded and we decided to call it Center for Conflict Resolution to make it easy for people to understand much as it wasn't because especially when you talk with people over the phone and you say Center for Conflict Resolution others would hear more of revolution instead and said well it's not bad to have a revolution around peace yes (laughs) so we we yes it would be the best revolution one would ever have. but then um, we realized we we had to 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 keep these words so as to to lay emphasis on the kind of work that we wanted to do. and that goes close to your next question what is meant by a culture of peace? because we wanted now to promote, maintain and preach peace among the communities because the communities had been Saddened by different insurgencies that had, you know, riddled the country for quite a while, and uh, that is why our main objective was and still is to have alternative means of bringing peace, of handling conflicts, you know, of transforming peace among the communities creative in that uh, with piece work, there is no one size fits all. So we have to be very, very contextual. We -hmm. have to be very creative depending on the the area we are working uh, in, the themes we are tackling, and even the grouping and the age we are working with. That's why we say let's be creative uh, ways of uh, building peace. We cannot have a manual and we start preaching mm. about what that manual does without contextualizing the issues. Yes, and it is still very relevant. Unfortunately, unfortunately, I would actually say it's more relevant now mm. because when we're coming of the, uh, out of the other conflict, first systems had been good much as we had had conflict. Uh, in the education sector in the social sector in the health sector systems had been good although there had been conflicts the population was smaller but now the population is very very much bigger i think at that time we were less than uh, 10 million now we are coming to almost 50 million wow. and this uh, big population well they talk of 44 but uh, we are not we don't know how accurate this is mm-hmm. about 20 12 or something, census. So so we decided to to do this uh, in order to to, to help the people. And as I said, it's still relevant because uh, as the population, sorry, (laughs) I'm just reinforcing my battery. The population is bigger and the dynamics have increased So, it is still as relevant as uh, it may be more relevant than before. And for that reason, we are also uh, being a little more creative. If I can just go a little bit deeper into that. Because Mm -hmm. when we started, we thought, yes, we are a civil society organization with the mandate to uh, mainly give people uh, skills in peace building, so, we would go do trainings on conflict resolution mediation if we could but over time we would say go to communities and then we we preach so to say this message of uh, peace and then especially among the youth because in this country we have some communities that are armed and uh, they use mm. a lot of the the guns to 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 disrupt communities uh, there is a pastoral area where we Oh dear, sorry. Oh,
0: mm-hmm. uh, Rose, we can get we can get back uh, later uh, to, to, yeah, to some of yeah, the. You can hear. Yes, yes, uh, we can get back later to to some of the underlying uh, uh, issues, also to historic uh, perspectives on uh, on what's happening in your in your countries and uh, and how that is related to to current dynamics. Um. Maybe uh, at this point, let me direct a question to 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 Jan, and we'll get back to you uh, uh, to you, Rose, in in a moment. Um. So, Jan, um, what is your research interest in in South Sudan and uh, and East Africa in general? So, what what uh, what is your focus at the moment? Um, what interests you? Um. And also, I've, I've been with you, uh, myself, to to, uh, to South Sudan, to, to Juba, um, and you are behaving like as, as if you were a, a local there. You are actually a resident. Um, so what prompted you to, to explore that region to a point that you now call it your second home?
2: Well on the last question first, this is always things that happen a bit accidentally, you know, you get, uh, in fact, my, my research in the region started with uh, Uganda, which makes it very interesting to have this combination today, where I was in 2006 for a longer research based when I, when I did my PhD. Um, the work on, in, in, in South Sudan in particular, and, and in the horn region, is, for me, interesting for a variety of 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 reasons. One, it is my interest in peace processes brought me here. Um, And you have in basically all the countries uh, in the region, Uganda being a bit of an exception since it has developed uh, differently and really peacefully over the last 20 years. Um, But you have ongoing peace processes in, in most other countries at the moment. And comparing them and especially seeing them in what they do in, a, in the regional configuration in the Horn is a very interesting research question for me. And it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's linking up even further because there is processes on the other side of the Red Sea, Yemen, uh, in other parts. The are actually in a way almost connected. Libya, the same. Uh, you have tensions between Ethiopia, and Egypt. Um, and interestingly, South Sudan, in a way, is in the middle of all this which makes Mm -hmm. it a very, very interesting place. Mm -hmm. And in a way, even a bit more, even though the South Sudanese conflict, which is in a way still ongoing despite the ongoing peace process, uh, might be internationally forgotten, it is regionally a quite significant role that South Sudan plays, which makes it, uh, without sounding cynical, an actually very interesting case to research. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: very straightforward logic. Um, also, having been there with you, I can understand why you like being there. Beautiful country, Uganda. Heard, of course, an even more beautiful country, if I may say. Um, very let's... beautiful. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, Jan. Let's stay. Let's still stay with you uh, for a moment, and then uh, let's go get back to to, to Rose. Um, so, South Sudan. Uh, separated from Sudan as the world's uh, newest country in 2011. And of course, expectations of peace, economic development, stability, progress, with the huge international funding uh, and and support that was pouring into South Sudan was quite high. Um, Then, of course, uh, large-scale violence uh, relapsed in two thousand thirteen and two thousand and sixteen, and the country, as you have also mentioned in your in your introduction, is struggling ever since. So what has happened?
2: Yeah, this is a question that many that, that, that is moving many people. I mean I guess the the main problem was or is in a, in a historical perspective that sub Sudan has never been governed as one entity. Um, and this is something which is institutionally making a big, big difference to, to a lot of other places. Because even during colonialism, there was hardly any colonial officers there. They would die, they would, a few would come here and they would die in scores. Infrastructure is, is very bad. There was never roads. Large, large parts of this country mm. are completely inaccessible. And still, when rainy season comes, you, you, you find even problems with helicopters. So you go to places place and helicopters couldn't even land. Otherwise, you have to wait for the next dry season for them to go back. Um, and this makes it a very, very hard place to, to be governed in as one. And during mm-hmm. the, the, the war with the, with the North, Espelay, which was essentially the, 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 the Sub-Sudanese liberation movement, actually was designed not as an independence movement, but as a movement to change Sudan as a whole. And combined with that, it was actually also never that uniform movement as in other places, like compared with Uganda's national resistance movement, for instance, which was much more like one organization, which clear institutional kind of lines. Whereas in South sudan it was always a linkage with a lot of like more community militias, tribal militias, they're quite strong. Even now, like the New World Army always kind of connected uh, during the independence war with, with Espolite. They Again, they can mobilize 10,000 people overnight without even having a standing army structure. And this, this makes it very difficult conditions for government. And I think it was a bit of a high expectation to think that this kind of, of area which is as big as basically Ukraine or France, almost with 12 million inhabitants only, mm. that this can be governed just overnight. Mm. It's, it's its obviously a very difficult process institutionally. It has been never, there, w- there has never been a functional government in place.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So big challenges ahead and we will talk more about uh, in the next episode, uh, how how they could be tackled, what are today's perspectives Uh, Yeah, and what what we could look forward to. Um, Yeah, but still within this episode, let's get back to you, Rose, um, and look at some of the historic perspectives uh, of conflict dynamics in in Uganda. Uganda, of course, became independent uh, from the UK uh, already in 1962 and has experienced intermittent violent conflicts since then, including military coups, violent uh, regimes, uh, notoriously, including uh, Idi Amin's rule in the 1970s, um, with the current president in power since 1986. Um, so the country is yet to, to witness a truly democratic uh, handover, if you want to say, from power from one leader to another. And election-related uh, violence uh, is common. So think about uh, the last presidential elections in in 2021. Now the question uh, to you um and still from a historic perspective why has there been so much violence in the in the history of uh, uh, Uganda and what in in your assessment were the main triggers uh, of of this violence of conflict uh, in the past.
1: Thank you. Um I will just uh... Say briefly. I'll not get into too much dif- uh, detail about the, the the dynamics of violence in the country, uh, right from maybe even pre-colonial days, because uh, history tells us that before colonialism, there would be uh, fights. If you want to term them wars, but I would put this more as to fights between different tr- tribes especially fighting for territory and leadership, but that wasn't too highlighted. Uh, we, we then had colonial, uh, colonialists come in that uh, uh, in a way also came with uh, a divide and rule strategy that is part of the problem that I think we still keep seeing today. Although, whenever I sit with colleagues uh, in these spaces, I always say, Well, they may have come and they did the the negative, they they created the negative uh, impact. But honestly, for many of the countries, it is 60 or 50 years. Should we continue lamenting about this? But uh, when you come to think about it, probably the communities, citizens never really had time to go over all that and build for themselves. So we find that even in the independence era, there, there were uh, political parties were introduced. We have a, in this country, places that had kingdoms. And then in this current regime that you talked about, uh, these kingdoms came, we were re- returned. But when independence came, Because uh, Uganda was supposed to be a republic, these kingdoms were, would I say, disempowered. And that was already another cause for tensions, although not so loud. But at one point, uh, the first big uh, issue with the post-independence was when uh, the then prime minister, uh, Milton Obote, who later became the president, went and attacked the Mm. palace of the, the, the king. The Kabaka the, the, is the title given to the king of the, the Buganda area where the capital sits. Because I mean, Kampala is within a kingdom, and that in itself is an issue. Because this is the I would say the strongest of the kingdoms that that are there. So they attacked the palace. the The king the king ran into exile in in the UK, and that's where he died. You, I think the body was later returned. So all those tensions have been there. So. What I would like to stress here is the fact that in Uganda, at political level, there have been lots of conflicts, but not so Mm -hmm. much at the inter-community levels Mm -hmm. per se, like tribe against tribe, not so much. Of course, there is this mistrust, uh, stereotype, but it was not as strong. But more of this is played at political level, Mm -hmm. and then the leaders use this, like in the post-colonial era, we had two main parties of the Democratic Party and the Uganda, People's, Pat- uh, uh, the Uganda Pe- People's Congress, which was led by the then uh, Paul Milton Bote. But at the same time, religion came in because the Democratic Party mainly had Catholics on board. The mm-hmm. UPC mainly had protesters, the strongest religion at that time. And it was almost like a taboo for you, a, a Catholic, to be a, 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 Democrat, a Uganda People's uh, Congress member, you know it is like that. It's only in recent times that uh, citizens started associating religion with the politics. But when it had just come, it was like that's what was. So, uh, one thing is, I think, little education and awareness in these issues, and then the governments came. Uh, I think not much was being done. That was not being well handled. Because you'd have the the party at the at, at at the top having all the the powers, doing whatever they could, much as we had uh, institutions in place of judiciary and all the rest. So with over time, that led to now the 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 the, the rebellions that were brought about with the, like the NRM, which started with different mm-hmm. other other movements, you know, and then culminated into NRM. And then, with the coming of the Uganda People's Movement, there was hope for a change because the ideas were good. They came with very beautiful ten-point programs, which were all good. But uh, from the analysts, it's like the leaders—sorry, <coughs> the top leadership—did not live to those promises. And then that started bringing, you know, dissent amongst the people. And uh, we've had rebellions, especially in this current government, because the first rebellion, of course, that we had was when uh, the Amin was overthrown and mm-hmm. these people went where went away, uh, out of, I think they went to Sudan that time, wasn't yet divided. They launched a rebellion, we had rebels in the northwestern part of the country. And of course, we had all that. And later on, some agreements were made, others were taken on board, but there are a lot of remnants there and then unfulfilled and, and the promises or neglect. Because as a peace builder for us, we have uh, these uh, uh, statements that we always hear from our leaders that now we have peace. Even now mm-hmm. they will tell you there is peace. Simply because there is not much, because there is, there's is not much gun, gun violence. So mm-hmm. without uh, conventional wars, they get convinced there is peace. For <laughs> us, we know peace is beyond that. And that is part of the problem why we still have dynamics of conflicts now. Because people are not at peace, you know, and there are so many other areas that maybe, mm-hmm. as we continue the discussions, we can be highlighting. Yeah. So our objectives have changed over the time with, the, mm-hmm. with our work to try to address some of these things. You know the alternative ways of handling them, not really the main objectives. I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting, and and of course extremely important in the in the kind of work that you're doing to to remain flexible, as especially was was such a long time that you have been active with your uh, organisation, and and dynamics of course changing in, uh, during the course of the years. Um, maybe as a last. Uh, question in in this episode um yeah. uh, so there there is of course dynamics uh historic dynamics also happening between uganda and uh, and south sudan um and especially dynamics going on in the in the border regions between between both of these countries um rose uh very quickly how would you describe uh, sort of the dynamic of, of relations of relations between uh, the two countries over the years.
1: The the relations between the two countries, uh, I, I would say, have not been that bad. Like the border conflicts, I think have arisen more of uh, because of the the resources that mm-hmm. the communities mm-hmm. are fighting for. They have uh, it has not been very prominent, although we know they have come up. It starts as uh, a fight with, because of the resources. And then uh, something, again, that uh, comes right from the colonial era is in that these borders, as they like to term them, are artificial. I mean, they are not realistic. Mm-hmm. We call them artificial. I don't know why mm-hmm. everything is artificial. They are not realistic because they were dividing communities. They were dividing families. They were mm-hmm. dividing even homes po- all the borders, not just the South Sudan, you go to Kenya, but because the Kenya-Uganda border, we have not had too much of uh, conflicts, you don't see that playing playing out. But especially South Sudan, it's because of that. There was a, a district where, the, the you know, one country claims my border stops, the other side, mm. this border stops, there. that was mainly. But it has not played out so much as for the fight against the borders. Because even as, as we talk and as we record all these uh, claims of... Uh, uh, different uh, uh, borderlines. The communities are moving across. The refugees have moved across. South Sudanese refugees have been in Uganda. Ugandans were refugees, especially during the time of the, the Amin era. So that has not been as a big a problem as what happens within the countries, the conflicts within the countries, which are mainly the uh, political, and of course they come with the economic, and once you have economic issues, honestly, if people cannot live to their expectations, they cannot fulfill, mm-hmm. you know, their, their their needs. Then you know everything else plays out badly. Mm-hmm. But the border, the border issue has not been as strong. I, I would say, as someone who lives around here.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks very much, um, Jan. Anything to add? You you also know both countries, but particularly from from a South Sudanese perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean the relationships between these two countries are, v- are very important. And, and there is security elements, there's cultural elements, there is um, also strong economic uh, connections. I mean, the, the, the whole south of, of South Sudan, basically the whole Equatorial like region is, 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 is socially, culturally, economically very closely linked with, with Uganda, with several of the of the communities living across the borders, like the Chole, you find them in Uganda as well as in, in South Sudan on the South Sudanese side, just for instance, several others as well. Um, and especially for Juba, the capital, basically the whole supplies, being it food, being it fuel, being it whatever, comes from Uganda over the one road from um, Kampalo Soroti up to the Nimula border, and then on this one road up to South Sudan. So basically there's complete economic independence on on, on Uganda to an extent, with, the, with, with one of the additional problems that due to the, the very unstable situation in the Equatorias, this road is subject to, to ambushes quite regularly. The last ambush was beginning of this week when, when three, three people were shot on, on the basically the only road that connects these two countries and where everything goes through which makes it economically, which makes, especially Juba economically, also very vulnerable because you can, if you directly target trucks, the trucks from Uganda stop and nothing comes to Juba and you have a a huge crisis immediately with fuel stopping and food prices hiking basically overnight. Um, The second connection is, of course, a security cooperation that is there, especially during the first war of the uh, first phase of the civil war Mm -hmm. in South Sudan 2013-14. It was the Ugandan army that was moving into South Sudan and basically creating a, a huge safety zone where the whole Equatorius were, were, were taken out of the conflict, basically, and safeguarded by the Ugandan army. And I think the move was that there was the fear that the conflict would spill over to parts of Uganda, and this was basically a forward defense move that the uh, UPDF did. This changed, then in the second phase. Uh, when the conflict then moved basically south, and when some of these areas became became like hotspots of the civil war, mm-hmm. very close to the Ugandan border, which led to these huge refugee movements that then happened. Um, but I guess like the security cooperation between between Uganda and and South Sudan is still high on the agenda. There is a huge interest in Uganda on the South Sudanese peace process because the, the, the because of what Rose mentioned, these close interlinkages there. Um, and of course, it's it's also a social thing. Like many, like even during the the long Sudanese civil war, like loads of South Sudanese would move to Uganda, would go to school there, mm-hmm. would go to university there, have their kids even in Kampala. So there is, of course, like uh, strong cultural ties that are that that are linking these two countries. And this is, in fact, something that the whole region kind of can be characterized. People move in this mm-hmm. region, and it's it's. Of course, everybody's kind of attached to their own kind of countries and communities in a way, but uh this this region is one in movement really, which is makes mm. it also very interesting and nice place to. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah, thank you very much uh, Very interesting conversation with the two of you um, We will continue the conversation in in the next episode. uh We're also hoping to get joined by another uh prominent and interesting speaker from the region. Uh, and then look at yeah some of the more current uh, dynamics in in peace and conflict uh, today in uh, in South Sudan, Uganda, and uh, the region. Uh, perhaps also look a bit more at, at uh, the issue of climate change and environmental issues as a as a driver of uh, conflict in specific. Um, but for now, thank you very much, uh, dear Rose and uh, and Jan. Excellent uh, conversation. Thank you very much. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with with the next episode. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you very much, Maurice. Yeah, and that was great sharing with your discussions on this.
0: Subscribe to our podcast or visit the website insideconflict.com. For more information about the work of the ASPR, visit aspr.ac.org. Until next time.